The reading comes from Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Anne, for reading to us today. Hey, well, good morning, Providence Church, once again. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it is great to be gathered here for the second ever public service that we're having. I'm pretty excited. I don't know about you. Uh, You probably learned the bad news that when you came in, we didn't have breakfast burritos this week. That's real bad news. And we didn't have the balloons hanging up, but God is still present here with us. And we are expectant that he's going to do something great every time we gather. And we believe that this is just the starting line of what God is going to do through Providence Church. So last week, uh, we started a study in the book of Mark. And uh, on our first week in our, in our study, we're studying Mark because it's all about Jesus. And we want to be, as a church, we want to be all about Jesus. And so we add one plus one and we get two. So we're going to study Mark because we want to learn all about Jesus. And we want the next couple months. Actually, the next uh, lot of months, we're going to be looking at who Jesus is to try to figure out how we should live. And so um, last week, Andrew preached uh, through the beginning of Mark chapter 1, and I've got the next text. And so I want to introduce our text to us for this morning this way. <clears throat> so when I was a high school student, <clears throat> and actually in college too, every spring break, I would go on a mission trip uh, to Mexico. And what would happen is a bunch of us rural, small town Nebraska kids, this rural Nebraska youth group, uh, would load up in a plane, go down to Mexico, and we'd do this vacation Bible school. And so what that meant was uh, we would play games, we would tell stories, we would do crafts, we'd do all these crazy object lessons, and we would sweat our eyes out for a week on the dusty streets of Mexicali, Mexico. And uh, it was a glorious thing, uh, but was, what was maybe even uh, more glorious is that after the week was over in an act of pure grace from God and our leaders, we would uh, get in RVs and we would drive up the coast of California. We'd stay in a, in a hotel in the LA area and the next day, the last day of our trip, we would go to Disneyland. The happiest place on earth. That seems like a normal thing that you should do at the end of a mission trip, right? Go to Disneyland. Um, anyway, it was amazing. We were small town Nebraska kids. Uh, so here, so here's the deal, though. We went there, and but every year, there was a couple of adult leaders that would come on the trip that they would say, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm actually not going to go to Disneyland. I'm just going to stay back here. And I don't know what they were doing. They were maybe watching TV in the hotel room, maybe reading a book, maybe going shopping a little bit, but it didn't make any sense to me. Because you had an opportunity to go to Disneyland. And, and keep in mind, we came from rural nowhere, Nebraska, where the most exciting thing to do is probably, like, I don't know what the most exciting thing to do is. There's nothing to do there. And so, like, you have this opportunity. I have much love for Nebraska. I love my hometown. I love Atkinson. I know there's some small towners in here. I'm just joking. But here's the deal. You're in this 
you're in this place where you have the opportunity to go to Disneyland, and they turn it down, and for some reason they just say no and keep it at an arm's distance. And, I, and as I read this passage for today, Mark 1, 16 through 20, I kind of got this kind of impression. That Jesus has, has called us to something amazing, this deeper life, this more meaningful life, this more purposeful life. And, and when he calls, many times I have a, cha- or I have a, a tendency to, to kind of hold him at an arm's distance and say, you know what, I, I, I'm kind of fine over here. I'm just going to read my book over here in the room. I'm going to let you do your thing over there. Now, just to clarify, life with Jesus is, is not always roller coasters and magical castles like Disneyland. There is some challenge there, but the reality is, is that life with Jesus is so much greater than any other life that we could come up with on our own. And I am, I guess I'm a, a little bit afraid that we as individuals and as Providence Church, that if we don't take this invitation to follow me from Jesus, that we're going to end up playing church. That we're going to end up uh, being people who, who settle for a kind of semi-comfortable lives. We're going to be people who, who are just a bunch of nice people getting nicer. We're going to go about our, our weekly activities, our church activities, go to church on Sunday, maybe go to city group when it's convenient and have our nice lives. And, and, and I think Jesus is interjecting and he's saying no. I want you to follow me. I actually want you to spend a lot of time with me. I want you to, to earnestly pray hard for things daily. I, I, I want you to love people radically and genuinely. And if there's anything that's getting in the way, any distractions, any hobbies, any heart issue or heart idol that's getting in the way between me and you, uh, Get rid of that and come to me. I want you to follow me. Now, our our mission here at Providence, as Andrew said earlier, is to make and send disciples. And what we mean by disciple is someone who is a true follower of Jesus, someone who has a genuine relationship, who who gets life from him. And if we are going to be in this little church plant that we have, if we want to make a dent in our city, if we want to make an impact around the world, if if we want our city to change, if we want the people around us to go from hopeless to hopeful, from addicted to free, if we want them to go from purposeless to purposeful, we have to introduce people to Jesus. We have to make disciples. We have to get people around Jesus. That's what we have to be about. And the good news from our passage today that we're going to learn about is that Jesus, he's the king of the world, and he has all the authority everywhere, but, but he's not a distant king. He's a pursuing relational king. And he's inviting us in deeper into more meaningful relationship with him. And not only that, but he's calling out to us and he says, hey, I want you now to turn around and go bring others to me too so they can experience this as well. And in our passage for today, we're going to see, <clears throat> we're going to see Jesus draw this out in three ways. Or Mark draw this out in three ways. First, we're going to see that Jesus pursues Then we're going to see that Jesus calls, like he calls people to follow him. And then thirdly, we're going to see that Jesus sends people out. So open your Bibles, Mark 1, 16 and 17. We're going to read through these first couple verses and we're going to see how Jesus pursues. So Mark 1, 16 and 17 says, passing alongside 
the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the setup for this verse is so interesting. So last week, if you were here, Andrew preached at the very uh, beginning, before Mark was written, that these Jews were longing for something. They, they were holding out, they were awaiting for the Savior to come, the Messiah to come. They wanted a king to come, someone to come in power. They were hoping to have that redemption. And in verse 15, the verse right before this, it, uh, it, it says, or Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus proclaims, hey, the king is here. The kingdom is here. Now is the time. And so as you're reading this, people have the anticipation of like, Okay, what we've been waiting for for thousands of years is finally here. What's going to happen? The king is here. What's he going to do? Is he going to part a sea? Is he going to raise a dead person to life? Is he going to start walking on water? Is he going to start flying around like Superman? I mean, is he going to go to Jerusalem and give an amazing sermon? Is he going go to go to Rome and make a speech to the people there? What is his first act going to be as the king? And this is what he does. He pursues four men who were fishermen, middle-class fishermen. Seems a little odd, right? They were these fishermen, these four guys, were working along the Sea of Galilee, which was a prominent fishing area, but, but by no means a desirable location. You see, the, the story of Simon, Andrew, James, and John it is probably something like this. So these guys owned their own boats, and they owned their own nets, as we can see in this story. And so they had a little business going from them, but fishing was such a prominent thing at the time uh, that they had competition um, with big fishing operations along, this, uh, along the Mediterranean Sea. And so they were in competition, but, but they were probably doing okay for themselves. Uh, you know, they didn't have a sales department, so these guys were not only fishermen, so they also had to go to the marketplace and sell this fish. And so sometimes we give the, the disciples this rap of being like dumb people who don't know anything. Well, they probably had a little bit of business savvy, but at best they were middle class, uh, small business owners. Now, before we get to Jesus coming up to them, I, I want to let you in on something. So Simon and Andrew, the first two guys we meet in this story, they'd actually met Jesus before this time. So if you would look in John chapter 1, you would see that Andrew was following John the Baptist. He was kind of a, a disciple or a follower of him. And at one point, Jesus physically walks by them. And John the Baptist, he looks at him and he says, he points at Jesus and he says, hey, that's the Lamb of God. That, that's that Messiah that you're waiting for. And so Andrew, out of curiosity, starts following Jesus around for the day. He had exposure to Jesus for the day. And then at the end of the day, he introduces his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. So these guys had a chance to meet him. And they had this, so you can tell they had a sense of curiosity about Jesus. These two guys had their eyes open for this coming king that was going to come. And so they were looking out. Now, let's think about this for a second. So for a normal king in a normal setting, for you to get time with the king, you think, well, what would you have to do? Maybe beg for a few minutes of his time. Maybe you'd have to chase a king down like, like the paparazzi chased down the royal family. Maybe just to get a few seconds, maybe just one short conversation with the king or maybe a handshake among a crowd of people. <clears throat> but Jesus is a different kind of king. 
He doesn't hold Simon and Andrew at a distance, but he comes to them. He pursues them. We have this pursuing king. He came into their world, and he comes standing on the shores of Galilee as these guys are standing in the water, hurling their nets in the water. He pursues them. He pursues us. Now, a few months ago, uh, Carrie, my wife, uh, she undertook uh, this monumental task of taking, without me, taking our three children to the zoo. Now, here's the thing. If you don't know me, I have three kids. The oldest one is three. So three, two, and the baby at that time was eight months old. And our middle one, Liv, she's she's our only girl, and she's two years old, and she's by far the most curious out of all of our kids. And so what happened was, is Carrie decided to take on the aquarium, and it happened to be a crowded day, so there were people everywhere. And so she walks into the aquarium, and she's in there, and I think they were looking at the penguins or something, you know, because it's interesting to see them dive in and dive. It's interesting, right? And so she's looking around, hovering over uh, two kids. She turns her head for a second. She's, I don't know what she's doing. But, but she turns back the other way and Liv, our two-year-old, is gone. She has no idea where she is. And this sense of panic comes over her. Like you think about it, you're like, there's hundreds of people in there. Any number of them could have snatched her up. You know, the odds are against her. She could have gotten hurt. She could have gotten taken. Who knows what would happen? But Carrie's motherly instinct set in and she goes, oh no, there's no way I'm going to let this happen. And so she starts on the move like a mom on the prowl and she goes, fights through the crowds and is yelling Liv's name and going after her everywhere. And she goes by the penguins and the sharks and the stingrays and everywhere. And after looking for a few minutes, sweating and, and, and all nervous and panicky, the, the crowd opens up a little bit and there she sees little Liv standing up and looking at some fish, all two foot ten of her standing there by herself. <clears throat> and with a little anger in her voice, but mostly love and concern, she said, Liv, get over here right now. And she grabbed her and she picked her up and held her tight and did not let her go. And I want you to think about this. Do you realize that that describes Jesus pursuit of you, that he loved you, that he came after you, that he went to all lengths to come after you and find you where you were, even though you wandered away from him. And he knows you by name. He has come after you. He's called you by name. Jared, come to me. You're mine. He's called you by name. If you're a Christian in the room this morning, have you reflected on the fact that you are a Christian solely because Jesus has pursued you? And does your life now reflect the fact that you didn't earn your way to God, but rather you have your place in the family of God? You are a Christian because of the grace of Jesus, because of what He's done for you. <clears throat> now, I admit this uh, quite often because I find that other people have a a similar distorted view. In other words, people's minds are messed up kind of like mine are. And that is, a lot of times when I think of my relationship with God, I um, I think of him standing off at a distance with his arms crossed, kind of peering over at me, kind of like an angry boss or an angry parent from a distance and saying, Jared, are you going to figure this out already? 
Like, are you going to mess this one up again? Or are you finally going to figure out what you're supposed to do? Are you going to finally figure out how to be good? Now, if you're a Christian in the room, I got to tell you, this is not how God sees you. This is not how he operates. He's not angrily waiting to judge you, pounce on you and say, you did it wrong again. He's your savior. He's your pursuer. He's come for your soul. And he's, he's, he's tried to help you grow in love and maturity. He's on your side. Now, if you're not a Christian in the room, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus might be pursuing you? Like he, he may be pushing through the crowdedness of your life, your, your social life, your, your hobbies, uh, you know, all, all the things that keep you busy, your school, your job, your family, all of that. He may be wading through that crowdedness and he may be pursuing you. And if you think he is, I would encourage you to not push away from that, but to actually lean in. If Jesus himself is pursuing you, you don't want to ignore that. And the fact that you're here this morning in the room, the fact that you're listening to the words of God from the scripture, it might mean that Jesus is pursuing you this morning. We see a beautiful picture of how Jesus pursues in this text. The next thing he does, he follows up by calling. So the next thing we highlight is Jesus calls. This happens twice, once Andrew, and then once to James and John. And verse 17 is where it describes it best. So let's uh, read this verse again. It says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So this pursuit comes with the follow-up. His pursuit, Jesus' pursuit as a king was kind of an odd countercultural thing. And his follow-up is once again an odd countercultural thing. Let me tell you what I mean. So he takes these first two men, Simon and Andrew, He comes up to them, he approaches them, he yells to them, hey, you guys, come and follow me. Now, this would have been unheard of in the day. Because in those days, there was no such thing as a rabbi who would come looking for disciples. There's no such thing as a rabbi that would come looking for students or pupils. It always happened the other way around. So these students who wanted to be disciples, they would just prepare and prepare and study and study and and try to present themselves as being impressive to these rabbis. They would have to muster up the courage to be able to approach these guys and then hope and pray that one of the rabbis would maybe have pity on them and say, okay, now you can come be my follower. You're good enough for me. But in this case, it's Jesus who extends the invitation. It's the rabbi that's calling them. Now, Inherent in this calling for these four fishermen is a calling to something, but it's also a calling to leave something. In verse 18, it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Do you, you get the weight of this for fishermen? Their nets were their thing. It also says they left their boats there. Their boats, that was their identity. It was their moneymaker. Their boats were their livelihood. If you go down in the text and you look in verse 20, it says that James and John did the same thing. James and John, they left their boats. They owned these boats. It was probably their prized possession. And they just left those things to follow Jesus. They even left their dad in the boat. Did you catch that? They probably lost out on their inheritance at that point. I think that was kind of funny, actually. But um, this, this call 
we learn something about this call to follow him is that it's not a light one. That, that when I think about this, a lot of times I kind of get held up because I know that Jesus is, is calling me into something, but, but I give him some, some qualifiers and say, okay, but Jesus, I still want an ideal house that's really going to fit my family well. And, and you know what? I'll do this church thing, but you got to make it grow and you got to make it successful. And oh, by the way, uh, Jesus, uh, don't mess with my wife and my kids and their health because we got to be we got to be healthy. Like, I, I don't want you to touch that. Oh, and also, can you please make my kids behave because it makes my life a whole lot easier when they do the right thing all the time. And also, it's not embarrassing when my kids are the little devils that are running around at church and everyone else knows whose kids they are. A little bit embarrassing. So can you just, like, keep them under control? Jesus, there's a few places that you can touch, but the rest of them, uh, can, you, can, can you just leave some of that stuff alone? Now, that's not a follow me kind of attitude. That's not an immediately drop your nets and come after Jesus kind of attitude. That's not a leave your dad in the boat kind of thing. So I have to ask you, what is your list of untouchables? The things that you don't want God to mess with. He's saying, drop it and follow me. And let me add this. Jesus has permission to come up and do this. He has the ability to come up to us and do this because he's the king and he has authority. But, but his motivation in this is love. That He knew he was going to pursue us. He knew that he would love us. He knew that he would die for us. Not so he can just come in and bark orders at us and tell us what to do, but actually so we could have a more abundant, more full life in relationship with him. So what exactly is this call that he's calling us to? What is he, what's he, what are the details of what this means? Well, I, I listed out a few things for us to go through. This is not an exhaustive list, but just a few things that this call includes. Number one says, or number one is it's a call to repentance. Mark 1, 15, it says, repent and believe the gospel. You see, the call to follow Jesus is one of repenting. It's one of turning from your sins and turning to him. It's one of, of saying, Jesus, I confess these to you. Uh, I want you to forgive these and turning the other way and, and running toward Jesus. Secondly, it's a call to die to yourself. Mark eight thirty four says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's a call to die to ourselves, die to our worldly desires, to die to our selfish motivations. These are kind of weighty commands, but there's other ones too. A little bit more pleasant ones maybe. Thirdly, it's a call to rest. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Following Jesus may be difficult at times, but he wants to give rest to your heart, to your mind, to your souls. Next, it's a call to friendship. John 15, 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. You see, Jesus is not, he's not a dictator. He's not an angry boss. 
He's not going to call you to, to give up everything. He's not going to demand everything and then use and abuse you. He is for you. He's your friend. He's the king of the world who loves you and actually listens to you. The last thing I want to highlight is that it's a call to life. John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and life abundantly. Flat out, life with Jesus is better. Not necessarily simpler all the time. Not necessarily easier all the time. But this is the life that we were created to live. It is the only way to full an abundant life. Now, I'm going to get real for a second and just ask this question. How many of us have truly responded to this call for discipleship, to follow Jesus? How many of us have, have taken all of our things and say, okay, here it is. Jesus, do whatever you want. You have my exclusive commitment. Even my bank account even my kids, even my dating relationship, even my job, whatever, it's yours, Jesus. Do what you want. Jesus has pursued us. He's calling us. How are we going to respond to that? So the next thing Jesus does is interesting. Jesus sends. He sends us out on mission. So in verse 17, after Jesus says, follow me, notice that he said that, that popular phrase, I will make you become fishers of men. Now, I probably should pause and explain this because that statement, fishers of men, that's just a weird thing to say. Like, what is he talking? Why, why does he say that? Well, I think there's a couple explanations for this. First of all, it's very simple, is that he's coming up to fishermen. That's what they know, right? And so he's saying, hey, you guys have spent all your life focusing on fish. You, you, you try to fish, it's your whole existence, it's your whole identity, and now I want you to quit focusing on fish and start focusing on men or people. So the idea is he's, they're switching their, their focus from what they're working on, and now they're going after people, but very specifically, they're, giving, they're trying to bring good news to these people. They're bringing the gospel to these people. Now, that's one of the explanations, but, but there's another layer to it. You see, in the Old Testament, when God talked about being fishers of men, he used this term. Like, for example, in, in uh, Jeremiah 16, where he says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt them. Now, when God talks about hunting or fishing or hunting in the Old Testament, he's talking about judgment, and the idea is that there are disobedient and rebellious people that are out there. And God is saying, I'm going to send people like fishers, like hunters, to go after these people, to find these people, to bring them to God so they will be judged. And here in this passage, Jesus is turning this picture upside down and saying, hey, guys, the kingdom is coming Eternal life is coming. Hope is, it's coming. And there is an urgency to dive into the water and to catch these fish, catch these, these people who are in there and one by one bring them to Jesus. There is a message of good news and we've got to go find these people and we've got to go tell them. Jesus is, is reflecting his pursuing nature in this, just like he pursued the fishermen, just like he pursued you, just like he wants to use you now to turn around and go pursue other people. 
providence. There is an urgency to get this message out. Jesus is pursuing people. And when he came to pursue you, he did not come just to to bring you in, to give you a nice, comfortable life, to give you a happy life, to give you your best life now. It doesn't stop there. That's not his point. But he's a king who's setting things right, and he wants citizens to come into the kingdom and experience the fullness of the king. And he wants us as citizens to go and bring other people into this kingdom too, to be able to experience this just as well. I think there's some people in our church uh, who have really started to champion this well. One couple I think of is Tim and Aaron Hall. Uh, they're uh, city group leaders for us, and kid le- our, Tim leads our kids' ministry. And they have taken an incredibly intentional approach as being fishers of people for their own little two kiddos that they have. And so they're, in, they're crazy intentional with, with sharing Jesus with them, with telling them stories from the Bible and articulating the gospel over and over and over again. And just a couple months ago, Lincoln, who's now seven, their oldest one, it, it clicked. Jesus opened up his eyes and his heart and he gave his life to Jesus. And last month at our baptism service, we got to, or Tim got to baptize Lincoln just last month. There's a, yeah, that's probably worth clapping or woohooing for. Somebody's eternal fate change. Thank you for being brave, by the way. We have another, we have a college student named Nathaniel. Nathaniel grew up as a pastor's kid. He's been uh, in some churches, and, and for the last several months, he had stepped away from the church and kind of doing his own thing, and he maybe sensed it was time to get back involved. So he came to Providence, and uh, we have a college ministry that we just started, PC3, and so he decided to come to the first night of PC3. Now, the thing about our ministry that's led uh, by Jordan and Andrew McGill and all of our student leaders is they want to be fishers of men. Uh, they don't want to just go steal people from other college ministries, but they want to go to the campuses and they want to grab people one by one and they want to see them come to faith in Jesus. And so Andrew McGill, who was speaking on the very first night, just a couple weeks ago, right up here on this stage, thought of himself as a fisher of men and said, hey, I got to lay out the gospel so these people know the message. And he laid it out. And wouldn't you know that Nathaniel said, hey, I've been keeping my distance from Jesus for a while but it's time for me to come and follow Jesus. And he gave his life to Jesus just a couple weeks ago for the very first time. I want to add one other thing about uh, the college ministry uh, because they, there's uh, something that happened. This wasn't included in the first service, but there was another uh, young man who was pursued uh, by Andrew McGill and some of our college people, and he came here this morning, here for the first time, and you want to see how Jesus pursues. Uh, <clears throat> we presented the gospel up here last service, and he came up to Andrew uh, just about an hour ago and said, hey, it's time for me to give my life to Jesus. And so just an hour ago, we had another college student who gave their life to Christ. And I think there's, there's probably countless other stories of you guys. I've heard some of them of you engaging your neighbors, of, of, of you really taking the gospel to people. And I just want to say, hey, good job. Like, keep that up. Let's continue to be fishers of men as we do this. And, and, and uh, I want us to just feel that urgency to get the message out. You don't always have to share the gospel and invite a response, but, but I want us to keep that sense of urgency that we have to go and get these people. And it can be simple things that you can do. You can just invite someone to church. 
You can be a, a fisher uh, of men and women by, by inviting someone over to your backyard, your neighbors over for a grill out. You can do it very simply by taking a couple extra moments on your lunch break at work and, and just uh, maybe asking some intentional questions, just diving into their life a little bit. And maybe Jesus is calling you to actually start sharing the good news of the gospel in words. And if he's telling you to do that, then, then you need to do it. And I know that as some of us think about this, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Like, some of us feel very underqualified to do this. Some of us feel very overwhelmed, ill-equipped, inadequate to do this. And the good news in this passage is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, follow me, and then try really hard to figure out how to be fishers of men. Did you know what he says? He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And we see a picture of this in these four fishermen that he came after. If you'd fast forward to the end of the New Testament, you see that Simon Peter became one of the most influential men in church history. He took the gospel to Rome, to the thriving city of Rome. His brother Andrew took the gospel to the borders of Russia. And John, in this passage, he became a a huge leader in the church of Ephesus. Providence, do we see ourselves as fishers of men and women? As our church strives to make and send disciples, would we remember that this is what Jesus has been about? This is at the core of his message. This is what turned the world upside down when Jesus showed his face on the earth. And he is empowering us and now commissioning us out, sending us out to go, make, go be fishers of men and to bring people to him. And the question is, how will we respond? Jesus our pursuing king, he's brought us good news. The good news of life and hope and peace. And now we are his agents in the world, as agents to a dark world. And while the world faces judgment, the world faces judgment because of sin, there is hope in Jesus. And that Jesus is on a mission and now he has invited us in. And so the question for us this morning is, will we become fishers of men? Will we engage our neighborhoods? Will we engage our city? Will we engage our world with the hope that we have that is coming in Christ? Let me pray. God, we thank you for this story, for this great story, for this great reminder that you are a pursuing God. God, we, we are thankful that, that you have called us into something greater, a more uh, deep, meaningful, purposeful existence. And God, it is also a privilege to be sent out. God, uh, so many times we can think of, of, uh, of being fishers of men and we can get caught up in nerves. And God, I pray that, that we would be people who consider this a privilege. And God, would we see your almighty supernatural hand at work um, in our daily lives as we go out and, and become fishers of men with the world around us. God, we want to be a church that is centered on you, a church that draws near to you, that feels called to you, that follows you and goes out and, and pursues other people to bring them in to this loving family of God. Jesus, we're so thankful for how you work, for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.